What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods coming at you guys with another episode in our Pac-12 and 31 Days theme. We are joined by the voice of the Washington Huskies, and you know he hosts his own podcast. We are joined by Tony Castricone, and I just want to say I appreciate you joining me. Zach, good to talk to you. Um, uh, thanks for having us on. We're, we're excited for the 2021 season. Absolutely, absolutely, man. So I want to start with just the Pac-12 in general. The Pac-12 commissioner, Larry Scott, made the announcement August 11th that the season was going to be postponed. Initially, then he reversed that decision. We had a very condensed, non-flexible schedule for the Pac-12. It was condemned by a lot of other conferences, but what was your initial reaction to the decision, and what was Washington's reaction to this decision as well? Yeah, wow. I, you know, I think, gosh, when you bring up Larry Scott, you're talking a full commissioner ago now. You know, things change so fast in college football, don't they? Um, you know, I think uh, thinking back to 2020 and just all that was going on at that time, man, I feel like um, there was a lot of disappointment that um, it wasn't going to be the season that we all hoped it would be. I mean, obviously, first and foremost, things were so so turbulent with um everything going on in the country and and just trying to make sure that the kids were safe first and foremost was was uh the the noble endeavor of all the conference presidents and and everybody else but i think there's still the natural disappointment of like you know there's a lot of people's livelihoods at stake for these student athletes there's only a four or five year window where they actually get to do this and so losing out a year of that um that's hard on a lot of people especially the people who who don't have you know the the multi-million dollar coaching salaries you know the the many 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 people on the stabs who who you know have normal lives who who still work in this industry and, and had all that uh disrupted so i feel like uh there was a lot of disappointment uh in the fact that it was delayed but i think everybody kind of understood and then uh, it was for for first year head coach Jimmy Lake. I thought he handled it with immense class and and great positivity because one of the things Zach that was really frustrating for Jimmy Lake was he had not one, not two, not three, but four different season openers. Um, his first three ended up getting canned. First, there was back in July. It's like uh, we're not going to be able to move forward with this season as as we thought. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll um, release a 10-game conference-only schedule and see if that works starting September 26th. Then in August, the decision comes, okay, we're not even going to do that. So things were put on pause indefinitely. We didn't know if we were going to have a spring season or what. But then, um, you know, they did eventually announce that, yeah, starting the first weekend of November, there would be a shortened season, six games, plus a seventh added on at the end for a championship week. And then that game for the Huskies, which was an opener ad Cal, got dinged because of one combined COVID positive between the two teams. And so just immensely frustrating. But Coach Lake, um, you know, never, at least publicly, felt sorry for himself, never allowed his kids to feel sorry for themselves, um, continued to focus on what was controllable. And I thought they did a great job. They finally came out on November 14th, played a game, and and it, it wasn't. It wasn't the cleanest game ever, uh, but it was a 27-21 win over Oregon State, which, you know, if, if you're familiar with up here, that's a series that Washington has dominated over the years. 
Oregon State is is not a blue blood that you you would say coming out of the Pac-12. And yet I still remember the enthusiasm in his voice after a six-point win. Uh, he sounded like a kid on Christmas morning, just like in, in the post-game show. It was like, hey, guys, did you see that? That was amazing. <laughs> we went out and we won a football game. And I just think um, given the circumstances going on all over the place, he, he could not be a better – there could not be a better fit for a head coach leading a program than, than Jimmy Lake leading the Huskies right now. And so they, they had a, a, a four-game season. They went three and one. Uh, they finished at the top of the division, but were unable to play a conference championship game due to COVID within the Huskies program late in the season. And of course, did not accept a bull bid. So uh, just a weird, weird year. And I think so many of us are so hopeful that we'll be able to get 70,000 fans in the stadium uh, on September 4th for what we're billing the return. You know, like, I mean, it's just... You go to GoHuskies.com, it's hashtag the return, and everybody's so excited for the chance to get inside the greatest setting in college football and watch a game against Montana. Absolutely, Ben. You mentioned this season. Is I mean, I throw records out the window, but a 3-1 and year in a year like this is a great season, in my opinion. You qualify for the championship, like you said. It's ridiculous that your rival got to go and win your Pac-12 championship, I would I would be so furious if Alabama got to take Auburn's <laughs> spot and won the SEC. I would just rage. It would ruin my whole year. But for you on the on-field performance side, did this season meet, exceed, or fall short of your preseason expectations? Great question and hard to answer because I'm not sure anybody really knew what to expect. Um, it was already such a different looking year with a first year head coach, a first year offensive coordinator, a red shirt freshman coming in a quarterback and some true freshmen out there at wide receiver. Offensively, I don't think anybody really knew what to expect. And then you throw in the added element of playing. You don't know who you're going to play on any given weekend. You have completely empty stadiums, and you don't know how players are going to react to that. So I think, I mean, you always try to taper expectations going into any given year, but I think more than ever, uh, there were no expectations going into last season, and there was just a great curiosity factor. How are they going to come out here and respond to to the adversity that they're facing? And I thought they did a great job, you know, going three and one. I thought the defense was, was really – I mean, it continues to be great on the back end. They continue to take out DBs that go to the NFL. And, and you know, the UW is certainly um, starting to brand itself as DBU when you consider all the guys that have, you know, that are playing on Sundays now at, at those different positions, at safety, at nickel, at corner. But I think the one thing that was just really disappointing was the inability to to get off the field on third down against Stanford the inability to stop the run um, in, in certain situations. And, you know, the Pac-12 North, it's funny. I, I think people across the country kind of think of the Pac-12 as an air it out kind of conference. But when you look at the North Division now, you've got uh, a Washington program that really likes to, to run the ball. In fact, Jimmy Lake wore a hat at a press conference that said, run the damn ball last year because he wants to establish the run in order to open up a, a multiple uh uh, and 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 a, and a versatile offense, but then Oregon has their downhill pistol style of running. Stanford has their intellectual brutality, where they're just cramming the ball down the middle, 
And then, you know, Cal is a team that's really started to uh, to to show its ability to run the football. And, and even Oregon State had Jamar Jefferson the last three years, uh, one of the best rushers in the nation. So the North Division is a league where, where you actually have a lot of programs that do like to run the ball. And I think the Huskies maybe didn't perform as well against the run as they had hoped on the defensive side, but they continue to be elite uh, at, at defending the pass. And um, I think from an expectation standpoint, you know, they, they tweaked and they're playing with some things defensively through the spring, uh, mixing in some 51 and some 52 sets in order to bulk up the defensive line and, and see whether or not they can be better at stopping the run in 2021. Offensively, again, there was just no real expectations. And so I felt like given the fact they went three and one, given the fact that they had a 21-point comeback in the win against Utah, I think all those things were, were kind of indicative of the fact that they exceeded expectations when you really think about it. And, and um, now they've got a baseline. Now they know what their starting point is going into 2021. Absolutely. And if there's anyone that's able to fix the defense, it's going to be Jimmy Lake. He was uh, one of the best coaches all on Chris Peterson's staff, and that's where I want to get to next. The first season of his coaching career is one that will never be forgotten. You mentioned all the trials and tribulations he had to go through to get to his first game, but you lose a legend like Chris Peterson. That's going to be a college football hall of college football hall of fame coach in Chris Peterson. And you have to pick a replacement for him, which is never difficult to follow a legend. Why was Jimmy Lake that guy? Yeah, so Jimmy Lake was such a natural choice. And I think there were there were a lot of good reasons for it. First, you you just said it when it, when it comes to Chris Peterson, he's probably going to be a college football hall of famer. Um, a guy that, that was just so revered, not just at Boise state and then at Washington, but really throughout all of college football as a guy that does it the right way. A guy who not only gets wins, but also produces young men who, who go out and um, are successes off the field um, has a great, uh, reputation for a, a high team GPA, despite the fact that it's a, a really good academic institution, one of the top 10 public schools in the world, according to um, U.S. News and World Report. And so I think all those things combined, you've got a guy that that you wish you could have forever. Well, he steps down. And what's the next best thing? A guy that he's been grooming uh, for the last several, several years. And not only does he have the base that Chris Peterson had already established uh, to build upon, but now he gets to put his own twist on it. And I think his twist is a, a little bit more fun, a little bit more swagger, a little bit more um, enthusiasm uh, and, and high energy and something that I think relates to the players really, really well. And so He's got the hunger of a first-time head coach. You know, I mean, uh, there, there's a lot of people who say, yeah, you don't want to go the first-time head coach because they're not proven. Yeah, but they're hungry, you know. Um, and I think not only that, but, you know, this is a guy that's that's come up in the system. Um, obviously, uh, I, I think truly when you think about what he could have done in leaving Washington to go take a DC job elsewhere. And it was the selflessness of Pete Kwiatkowski, now a defensive coordinator at Texas, who, when he was the DC at Washington, he said, he went to Chris Peterson and said, Hey, CP, we're, we're going to lose Jimmy uh, if we don't get him a 
coordinator role because he wants to be a head coach and, and we got to develop him for that. So what do you think if I step down as DC, I go to outside linebackers coach and we elevate him to DC. And I mean, talk about one of the all time selfless moves in college football. And um, yeah, I mean, it worked out beautifully. Jimmy Lake uh, gets the experience that he needs. He's now a head coach and he was the absolute perfect fit for the job. Absolutely. And, you know, a big decision is coming up this season, to say the least. Dylan Morris was the guy off in 2020 at the QB1 spot. He showed a lot of promise, but let's, every, anytime you bring a five-star freshman legacy player onto campus, there's going to be screams from the rooftops that he needs his starting spot. Sam Heward is there. You also get a grad transfer in Pat O'Brien. Both enter the fray this season. Now that spring practice is over for the Huskies, who is your favorite to be QB1 for 2021? Yeah, good question. I think it's going to be an interesting fall battle. I, if, if I had to handicap it, I like Dylan Morris uh, being the incumbent, but also I just thought he had the best spring game. And, you know, uh, when it came to the practices, I thought he really got pushed by Patrick O'Brien. He's a guy that has 18 career starts. From his time at Colorado State, a highly recruited guy himself, who was a four-star coming out of high school, started his career at Nebraska, uh, then transferred to CSU, had 18 starts there, uh, had some games where he put up good numbers. But I think Dylan Morris is a gamer. And, um, you know, Patrick O'Brien pushed him through the first 14 practices. But I thought by far Dylan Morris had the best spring game. And then Sam Heward, you know, I mean, he, like when you just look at his age, he's a high school senior, right? now technically like he should be he should be walking here in the next couple of days if if things were you know normal so i think he's certainly the future at quarterback for the huskies no question about it but it, it may take some time for him to catch up to the seat of the college game and you got a guy in dylan morris that that i thought responded really really well last year so sam looked like you know through spring ball he which he did participate in he looked like a true freshman, had some center quarterback exchange issues, threw some interceptions, um, you know, but no question, he's got the potential to be a great one. And so I think the Huskies have a really good situation in their quarterback room. It's, it's a loaded room for sure. Absolutely. And that all starts with recruiting. Jimmy Lake, I think, is going to have his name put out there as one of the best recruiters in the country once he gets this thing rolling, gets a few years under his belt. Uh, the, the, cla the This last cycle ended in February, a top 40 class. You get a five-star quarterback. You get huge former five-star transfers like Buki out of Oklahoma, which is Brendan Bradley Hiles, in case you all don't know the nickname. What were the biggest positional needs for the Huskies this year? And, you know, of course, someone like Hiles is going to be instant impact, but who are some other instant impact guys that the Huskies got in this class? Yeah, good question. Uh, I got to think back a little bit now since we're since we're past spring ball. But, you know, it's funny what you said about Jimmy Lake. I, I agree with you. I think he's going to be one of the great recruiters in college football. And I think he gets his personality in the living rooms. And I think he's going to win a lot of people over. But, you know, COVID was just so weird in a way that it put restrictions on people and uh, the inability to travel and everything else. And then Washington had a very small senior graduating class. So they had a very small recruiting class. It's uh, an incoming class for, for 2021. And for it to be ranked in the top 40, uh, I mean, that's not, you know, top 10, 
But at the same time, what Jimmy Lake will tell you is he he's not a fan of the rating systems. And he knows what he's looking for. And he knows uh, the exact type of player he wants to get into his system so that he can develop them. And Washington, probably more than any other program in the country over the last five to six years, has a track record for not just putting players in the NFL, but specifically for putting two and three star guys in the NFL. So I, I don't know that, you know, being on the outside of the top 25 in, in recruiting class is really a red flag for Jimmy Lake or his staff. I think they feel really good about what they got. And when you talk about immediate impact, I think it, at, you, you mentioned Buki Radley Hiles. I think he's going to be a guy that plays right away. Um, he had the most interceptions in spring ball out of the Husky defensive players. I think at the wide receiver position, you're going to see Jalen Polk, a transfer to Texas Tech, and Charles uh, Jackson, who has committed to Washington. I, I'm not sure that's official yet, but Charles Jackson's a guy that I, I think uh, should see some rapid wide receiver as well. And it's just dynamite in the kick return game. We had two kickoff returns for touchdowns in his time with the Wolverines. So um, wide receiver certainly one of those positions. And then it could be quarterback. I mean, they needed, they needed O'Brien from a depth standpoint. They, they really did. They lost a couple of transfers uh, going into the 2021 season. And so to get O'Brien out of the transfer portal was big. And now um, I think, yeah, just having depth at those positions is going to be a really, really big thing. But, but specifically, Buki Radley-Hiles coming in at a position potentially at nickel where you lose a guy like Elijah Molden who went to the NFL, I think that's going to be a big a big get for uh, for the Huskies here. Absolutely. On, the, on our podcast, we covered that transfer. And I just don't feel like it got enough talk because you combine a talent like Hiles with a, with a talent like Jimmy Lake, especially a DB, like a DB coach. That's where he started. He was a DB coach. That has the potential to be like Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year type potential if everything goes right. I know that's a big jump, but I really think that's how talented – both these guys are, but outside of that, man, we just saw spring practice and there's every year you, you see them in spring practice. You see them in s- summer workouts. It's like that kid's going to break out and the whole world's going to know his name. Who are you keeping an eye on, on this Husky ros- roster as really breakout potential stars for next year? Good question. So I think run back, you've got I you've got five guys who could carry the football and I know that Keith Bonifa who really ran a four-man rotation last year the running backs coach Keith Bonifa really wants to see one guy kind of step up and and become the bell cow you know a few years back we had Miles Gaskin who had four straight 1,000 yard rushing seasons and and so for the last couple of years to not really feel I I mean I guess in 2019 Savannah Ahmed finished the season with exactly thousand yards or right about, or right around there um but i think uh you know it's just the last couple of years it wasn't really clear who that number one go-to guy who was going to gobble up the carries was going to be and i think he wants to see um somebody step up there and so all of them are candidates i i think uh Richard Newton is a thumper who excited everybody in 2019 as a redshirt freshman. And now as a junior, I think could have a big breakout year. But JV on Sunday, people with his physical style of running in, in camp as well. He'll be a freshman at the running back position. So 
those are a couple guys to keep an eye on. Someone's going to have to catch passes, um, you know. So I think in wide receiving room, they're they're looking for somebody to step up and be the one A there. You've already got an All American candidate in tight end, Cade Auten. He'll probably lead the team in receptions, but but from the wide receiver position, someone's got to break out. On the defensive end, um, you know, you lose Zion Tupola Fatui at least for early in the season, who I thought was going to be an All American, and you know. He goes down with the the ruptured Achilles in spring camp, and so we we're hearing from the outside linebackers coach that a young guy named Braylon Trice uh, has the chance to be every bit as good, if not better, than Joe Tryon, who was just picked in the first round by Tampa Bay at that outside linebacker position. So with ZTF going down, it could be an opportunity for a guy like Braylon Trice to explode onto the scene. That might be a thing to keep an eye on. Um, Eddie Ulafoshio at inside linebacker was phenomenal. Who's going to step up next to him and really anchor the middle of that defense? I think that's a, a question. It could be Jackson Sermon. It could be MJ Tafisi, Alfonso Tuputala. Those are guys that someone's going to have to rise to the occasion there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I like there are guys that I already think are stars. Trent McDuffie at one cornerback position is, is I think, as good as it gets. Opposite him, Kyler Gordon's going to really be a starter for the first time, and he's freakishly athletic, and uh, you know he, he's a ball hawk. And I don't think they have plans to play him on offense, but if they wanted to, they could. I mean, his athleticism is a little reminiscent of a Charles Woodson type. So those are just some names to keep an eye on early in the season to see how they all progress. Right, I'm excited for this Washington team, man. I'm not going to lie. I mean. I look at the 2021 schedule. It's a tough schedule, but I feel like Washington is going to – it's hardly ever going to be overmatched in the game. It's going to be competitive games all down the line. Uh, the road trip to the big house against Michigan is going to be huge. I am so pumped for that one. I'm excited for to, to see what Washington brings to the table. I favor them in that matchup a little bit as of right now just based on what Michigan has been. And then, of course, you've got the conference games – Oregon, Arizona State, Colorado are going to be huge games, especially that Oregon game. I am, I don't care if Washington or Oregon's bad. That game is just one that I love to see. And for you right now, I know it's May. What is the ceiling and or floor for the 2021 Huskies team? So I think ceiling, there's no reason that they can't win all those games. Like, I mean, I know that. On paper, people might not look at Washington as a 12-0 and team, but when I look at every one of those opponents, I think you kind of said it. They're not outclassed by anybody. There's no reason they can't go win them all. Um, floor, you know, I, I think they're going to play a lot of close games, and so how they perform in the fourth quarter is going to dictate what their record is. I mean, I think you look back to 2019, and that team was uh, a really good example of – of a team that just lost a, a bunch of close games, you know, lost uh, on a last second field goal against Cal, um, you know, just the, those type of things happening against uh, Washington 2019 resulted in them having an eight and five record when they, they, they might've been better than that. Um, and even in 2018, when they had a Rose bowl team, their four losses were four very close losses. The Auburn game in Atlanta was a six point game. Uh, you know, uh, they missed a, a last-second field goal to send the game to overtime and a loss at Oregon. Um, Two-point loss at Cal. I mean, those are all games that 
they could have they could have gone thirteen and zero, right? So, I think you know the floor is going to be determined by how they play in the fourth quarter, and if all those close games go against them, they could be in the five hundred to seven and five range. But I, I don't see any reason why they can't go out there and beat a, a Pac twelve championship team either. And, and and I think looking at you know, just just some of the tweets that I've seen coming out of Las Vegas. It sounds like Oregon and Washington kind of are getting a lot of the money right now um, when, it, when it comes to the 2021 season. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, if I had to put money on it, I'm not a gambling guy, but uh, Oregon and Washington, it would be, probably be my two bets, followed by maybe USC. But I have a lot of questions about their offensive line and things. Washington and Oregon should be the class of the Pac-12. Um, but, yeah, I'm excited for the season, man. Oregon, that Oregon-Washington game, I, I'm going to have to – I need to find a way to get up to the northwest out there go to that one. But, you know, one of the questions I have – so you mentioned that Auburn game in 2018. I thought Washington should have won that game. They were the better team for probably three of the four quarters – in that game, that fumble at the goal line really cost them that game. But I want to talk more about the national perception. A lot of people actually were picking Washington to win that game, shockingly. And there's this narrative around the Pac-12. It's Oregon or USC. That's really it. Even though people forget Washington was the last team to make the college football playoff. There's four seats, but the Pac-12 always seems to be that fifth seat, always left out. So while you're at this national program who should have a seat at the table, what does the Pac-12 have to do to kind of force their way better into the conversation of we are we deserve a seat at the table year in and year out? Well, first thing is they just got to win the non-conference games. And and those didn't even exist in 2020. So there was, there was no chance uh, last year. Yeah. Uh, it just wasn't going to happen. And that's unfortunate. But um, – you know, there was no chance. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it expand to include the Power Five Conference champions at some point because, A, it would be the right thing to do, but, B, I mean, it, there's just such an appetite for it that I, I could definitely see that happening. And at that point, you don't really have to worry about it anymore. But until that day comes... I think they got to go take care of business in in non-league games, and there's going to be opportunities for the whole league to show up. And it's not just Washington at Michigan, right? I mean, Oregon's got to go take care of business against Ohio State. Um, you know, I, I don't have the conference schedule in front of me here, but there's going to be chances for the UCLA's of the world to get a big non-league win and things like that. And so, you know, that's that's what's going to continue to dictate year in and year out what the perception is of any given league because um you know bowl games aren't always a great indicator there's there's varying motivation levels going into those games um they're, they're kind of weird matchups sometimes you get a number two in one conference against a number six in another like it, it's just, it's just it, bowl game records aren't always a great indicator but when you look at non-league games early in the season nationally televised i don't know that you can really argue with those. So Washington's got to win in Ann Arbor. Oregon's got to win in Columbus. And, you know, uh, the, the rest of the league's got to show up in those opportunities. They get USC Notre Dame is always a big game, you know, and and so uh, we'll keep an eye on those games as the season goes along. Absolutely. Yeah. And the UCLA game you're thinking of, they've got, they got LSU coming to LA. 
So they're going to have to win or at least be competitive in that one. So that's a big one. And, you know, I feel like there's, I feel responsible a little bit as a fan because I'm an Auburn fan. And, you know, when the two years we beat Oregon and Washington, they, those teams ended up going on to win the title in the Pac-12. So there was this narrative that it was like the fourth best team in the SEC West can beat the Pac-12 champion. I was like, no, no, no. Y'all didn't watch the games because Oregon beat us for three quarters and three fourths of the game and Washington beat us for three quarters. Like that's not what happened. We did not go in there and spank anyone. Those two teams were probably better than Auburn. So I think Oregon's going to give Ohio State a run. I think Washington beats Michigan as of right now. And we had a lot of questions about LSU. So this is the year for the Pac-12 to make a run. But last question here, man. And we talked about this, you know, last time we talked, the Husky, Husky Stadium's on my list. It's probably like two or three on my list right behind the Rose Bowl is the stadium I need to get to. What makes Seattle, this campus, and Husky Stadium such a, I guess, legendary environment on game days? Well, it's just the it's just the setting. I mean, like, you know, Keith Jackson said it and we we continue to say it over and over again, the greatest setting in college football. But I mean, you know, I've been um to Knoxville and I've seen, you know, uh, they're set up there on the lake or not on the lake, but on the river. And it's cool. It really is. But like when you, when you are, are sitting atop that stadium at the 50 yard line, calling a game and you look out to the West and you see campus, all the colors of the ball and beyond the campus snow capped Olympic mountains. And then you look out to your right or to the east and you see Lake Washington with hundreds of sailboats on it, anchored down, enjoying game day from that perspective. And then beyond that, you've got the snow-capped Cascades. And then behind you, you've got the most prominent mountain in the lower 48 states in Mount Rainier, which is just a monster volcano. Um, it's just, it's, it, it's like, I, I try to say, like, in some ways, it's the college football version of, of like the Field of Dreams, where, you know, at the end of the movie, where... Um, John Kinsella shouts Ray, is this heaven? He's like, no, it's Iowa. You know, like, I, I kind of feel like that's kind of what Husky Stadium's like, you know? And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's all cool, but if you're, you're not winning in games and there's nobody in the stands, then it's all just kind of, you know, picturesque. But the way that the Huskies have been able to play the last decade or so. And then you got the cantilever roofs, which, you know, have 70,000 fans um, just echoing through that stadium. I mean, it's the loudest stadium in college football uh, on record at 133 decibels on the field. And so like all those things combined, like what more do you want? You know, I mean, like it's, it's it's incredible, and I, that, that's what's great about college football is every every stadium has its charm. You know, I mean, Howard's Rock is special and Script Ohio is special and the jumping up to the M Club banner and touching that, that's special. All this stuff is, spe- you know, the Rose Bowl is unbelievable. But there's something truly awesome about game days at Husky Stadium. And, um, yeah, I mean, we're we're lucky. We're lucky to get to do uh, seven games per year there. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I'll, listen, I love Jordan Hare, but I promise you looking at the water tower with the big AU on it is not the same as looking at all that picturesque stuff up in Washington. I had such a hard time picking a background picture because I was like, man, I would just, I would want this painted on my bedroom wall. This is like gorgeous. So <laughs> I, I, I love, I love the stadium, man. The atmosphere is amazing, like you said. So I need to get up to Husky Stadium very, very soon. But man, I appreciate you coming on. One of my favorite guests. We had to do this twice, so it was two times as good. So I appreciate you working with me on that, man. But where can our listeners find you and all the calls for Husky football this year? Yeah, um, so our games are all going to be streaming on the Husky Game Day app. Um, uh, and, you know, you can look me up on Twitter. I'll, I'll have all the information about every game we've got um at castricone on twitter and then uh you know well uh, all games are on serious xm and and go huskies.com and all that stuff as well but yeah i'm just excited for this 2021 season and uh i i think it's gonna feel as normal as we felt in a long time and uh, i think it's gonna be a really competitive team so we can't wait Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Getting fans back in the stands, having somewhat of a normal season again is just getting me excited. But man, guys, I appreciate Tony coming on here again. Make sure to go check out him, Washington football and all his calls. I promise you they're going to make a huge run this year. And Washington football is one of my favorite to watch. Um, you know where to find us, man. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's funny. Washington State's next. So I guess we say the big brother first with the little brother second so if you guys want to go check out our washington state interview tomorrow go ahead understand if you'd rather skip that one or or something but y'all know where to find us man but for tony for myself and for the blue bloods guys we are out